I'm Emily Williams, and this is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. It's back to school week in the Charleston area. A few months ago, many people were hoping that this week would go a little differently than it is now. They were hopeful that a return to school would also be a kind of return to normalcy, that COVID cases would be on the decline, and that the health risks for students would be lower. But instead, the lead up to this school year has been stressful for a lot of people. We discussed last week on the show how cases are surging right now as the more aggressive Delta variant takes over. Just last week, state epidemiologist Dr. Linda Bell said that she had, quote, never been more concerned for our state. Here's Dr. Bell speaking at a press conference earlier this week about the return to school. I am certain that when history is written, people will look back and wonder at how we were nearing normalcy, then had a dramatic resurgence in this disease given all the tools we had available to prevent what is unfolding right now. I want to emphasize the means that we have to keep our children safe for in-school learning this year. Something that we can all agree on that we need and that we want. Studies from the CDC have shown that having staff and students wear face masks in school is effective, even when there's a lot of spread in the community. But South Carolina school districts are being barred from passing mask mandates. This summer, South Carolina lawmakers passed a budget proviso that says schools can't use public funds to mandate masks. This week, Charleston County School District changed course and decided to require masks for all students anyway. I spoke with education reporter Libby Stanford about that decision, other precautions schools are and aren't taking, and how schools plan to handle it when their students and staff contract COVID-19. Our discussion focuses primarily on what schools in the Charleston area are doing, but we're also going to be talking about things that apply to all South Carolina schools. And we have reporters across the state who are reporting on other school districts, so we'll include some links to find other post and career education coverage in today's show notes. This week was the first week for all Charleston area school districts. On Monday, August 16th, Berkeley County and Dorchester District 2 started. And then on Wednesday, August 18th, Charleston County started and so did Dorchester District 4. It was a kind of a busy, crazy week. I went to James Simon's Montessori School on Wednesday to kind of observe what was going on during drop-off. And I saw nearly every student wearing masks um, as they walked into the school. There was one family, I think, that walked in without masks. But everyone was pretty excited. There were people just really grateful to have their students back in school. Parents are really hoping for a school year that can resemble what it was like before the pandemic. Right. There was a lot of hope that this start of the school year would be some of that return to normalcy. But of course, the lead up to the school year has been pretty confusing. And there have been plenty of twists and turns just because we are seeing such a surge in coronavirus cases, and especially the spread of the Delta variant. And that, of course, has turned into a lot of debate about the precautions that should be used for in-person learning and in-person school, especially about 
mask mandates, and we will get into that in a minute. But just to start out, what are pediatricians saying about the risk that in-person school could pose to children in terms of getting COVID? What are they saying now, especially with the Delta variant, like we said, that's spreading? When I've talked to pediatricians and doctors about this, the number one thing they want to stress is that kids can get coronavirus. It's much less likely that they do, and it's much less likely that it'll be severe, but kids will get coronavirus and they will spread it to other people. There's this misconception that that kids don't spread it and don't really contribute to the pandemic, but they're seeing more and more cases of kids getting the virus. And a lot of that is attributed to just the fact that kids under the age of 12 are unable to be vaccinated. So, you know, all elementary school students don't have that immunity that now lots of adults and lots of middle and high school students do. So that's really the big concern is that these kids are not vaccinated, they are able to contract the virus, and they're able to spread it both to their teachers, to their classmates, and to their family at home. One of the things a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to coronavirus in kids is a condition called multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. What this is, is it's a condition that affects a small number, but a small but growing number of kids who have either been exposed to or have had the coronavirus. So it doesn't happen while they are sick with COVID-19, but it happens after. Doctors have said that they've seen kids come in near death. And and really how it affects them is it it kind of attacks all parts of the body, causing an inflammation to muscles and organs. and, And it's really severe. It has also caused some deaths among kids. Like you said, students who are under the age of 12 cannot get the COVID vaccine, but students who are 12 and over can get vaccinated. Are any schools requiring that students who can get that COVID vaccine get vaccinated? We know, of course, students are required to get other types of vaccines before they attend school. Is that something that any school-age children in South Carolina are being required to do? Right now, that's not a requirement for any children or, as far as I know, staff members at schools in South Carolina. The school districts are able to require staff members to get the vaccine, but because the vaccine's not FDA approved at the moment, the districts are not able to require the vaccine for children as they would other vaccinations such as mumps. So when it comes to the issues of masks, like we said, things get more complicated. So first, what are doctors saying about the effectiveness of mask policies when it comes to schools and in-person learning? Masks are highly effective at preventing the spread of the virus if they're worn universally. So they protect both the wearer and the person who the wearer is speaking to or interacting with. And when you wear a mask, you're giving a little bit more protection to others than you are to yourself, but it still provides some degree of protection to yourself when you wear a mask. So when it comes to having masks in schools, doctors are really pushing for that because the more people that are wearing the masks, the less likely it is to spread to the children and spread amongst the community as a whole. The big push is that, you know, less students will get the virus or be exposed to the virus. That'll ultimately lead to less of a spread in the community, and it'll keep students in person longer. So when it comes to the rules that school districts are setting for whether or not students have to wear masks, that has been changing pretty quickly. So like we said, a lot of students in the Charleston area, their first day of school was this week. So what about a week ago? So about a week or even several days away from going back to school, what were the policies around mask wearing at school districts in the Charleston area? 
a week ago, none of the schools were going to require masks. Both Dorchester District 2 and Berkeley County schools had a mask optional policy for both in person at school and on the school buses. Charleston differed a little bit in that they were requiring masks while on school buses. But as far as what was happening inside the schools, for all of them, they weren't requiring any masks. They were completely optional. And so we did see school start that way for Berkeley and Dorchester District 2. Both of them opened with mask optional policies. And so far, they aren't changing those policies at all. So before this week, when all of these students went back to school, none of the districts in the Charleston area were requiring masks. So let's also explain first, why is that? If we explained how doctors are recommending it and how they've said that it can be an effective way to do what seems to be everyone's goal, which is to keep students in person and to not interrupt their learning in person. So why is that the case? Earlier this summer, I believe, the South Carolina state legislature passed a budget proviso, which is kind of like an amendment or a rule to the budget that said districts cannot use any public funding or state funds to implement a mask mandate. What that effectively did was tell the districts that they would not be able to implement a mask requirement or mask mandate because districts are funded through public funds. Although they have some private funds through different initiatives and things like that, it's too difficult at times to, to separate those and it would require public funding for districts to implement a mask mandate. So, you know, a week ago, a lot of districts were following through with what that proviso said and deciding to strongly encourage masks and strongly recommend masks rather than requiring them. But of course, that changed earlier this week with Charleston County School District. So they had a special meeting this week and a pretty long executive session. And then when they came out of that, what did they end up doing? And they explained some of the reasoning of why they made that change. On Monday, August 16th, the Charleston County Board of Trustees decided to have a special called meeting that was somewhat of a surprise for some people. For about two hours in an executive session, they heard information about the trajectory of the Delta variant and the virus, as well as legal advice from their lawyers about the proviso and what they could really do with it. After leaving that executive session, which was closed to the public, so I wasn't able to know what was discussed specifically in that session, but after leaving that session, they decided with an eight to one vote to require masks for all students, staff, and visitors inside the schools. The ultimate policy that the district landed on was that masks would be required for students whenever they are not able to socially distance from others, regardless of vaccination. So the districts in the schools have three foot distancing between the desks and the classroom. So students are able to take off their masks while they're sitting at desk doing classwork. But once they get up from that desk, they need to put the masks on. The district superintendent said that teachers may also be able to take off the masks if they're at least six feet away from students while they're lecturing. The goal is to really enforce the masks inside when in congregated areas like in the hallways and the lunch rooms when people are not eating. So the goal is to really prevent the spread when people are close together and might spread it to a bunch of other people. Is there a time frame for this mandate or is it kind of indefinite? We'll, we'll see how cases go. How did they navigate that? 
the board ultimately decided to require masks until October 15th. The reasoning behind that is because in the executive session, they heard information about kind of the peak of the Delta variant. They heard that the Delta variant would really peak in September and then by October start to fall. So the goal and the hope is that on October 15th, they'll be able to stop requiring masks. Students will kind of be able to go on with mask optional. Of course, they could always decide to extend it if the cases are really bad at that time, if the transmission in the community is really high, they could always make that decision. But as of right now, that's where the policy stands is that masks are only required until October 15th. So it seems like one of the big questions that we're left with is all of these school districts have initially been saying we are not going to mandate masks with a a big reason for many of those districts being we don't want our funding to be affected because of this policy that was enacted by the state legislature. So do we know how that could impact Charleston County Schools since essentially they, they went against this this policy? Or if there's any possibility that lawmakers could, could revisit that and maybe reconsider that decision? In Columbia, a bipartisan group of lawmakers have made a push for the state Senate to reconsider the proviso in the measure that prevents schools from being able to use these their funds to require masks. Really, that has been in response to the rise in cases, and a lot of them are saying that they think, you know, this decision was made before we knew what the fall was going to be like, and no one really expected the Delta variant to go this way. That was really kind of the reasoning behind that. Whether or not that comes to fruition is still to be seen but it could change things for school districts across the state. We do know, though, that Governor Henry McMaster has really stuck with the same message in terms of how he feels about mask mandates in schools, saying that they're not necessary. He made a statement to that effect earlier this week and has said that multiple times. But what about State Superintendent Molly Spearman? Has she said anything recently about how she feels about school districts' really inability to make the decision to mandate masks without some concern about what that will mean for their budget? Spearman has really gone against McMaster's words when when discussing this issue. She said she believes school boards should have the final say on whether or not masks are required in schools. She kind of spoke about how those boards and the school districts know their community best and, and they should be able to respond to rising COVID cases in a way that would be productive for them. I have been very clear. I do believe that this issue is best handled by local school boards. We have two ways now to make that happen. Either the legislature comes back in, and I have asked them to do that continually, (laughs) or this ends up in the courts, and the courts resolve it. Uh, I disagree with the governor on this. Um, We have got to have a solution to this, Our schools are starting, our educators are worried, and we have parents who are very, very concerned as I am. So we've mostly been talking about public K-12 schools. What about private schools? Do we know what private schools in the Charleston area are doing about mask policies? Private schools have the freedom that public schools do not. They are privately funded. They're able to spend their funds on things like mask mandates, plexiglass, social distancing. If they decide that, you know, having students at home learning in virtual is best for them, they can do that. In Charleston, we've talked to a number of private schools who are 
choosing to require masks for their students. Some of the the bigger private schools, such as Porter God and Ashley Hall, are both requiring masks for students and staff members while they're inside. Some schools have decided to only require masks in certain situations. For example, the Catholic Diocese of Charleston has said that schools should require masks whenever students are unable to achieve social distancing. So whenever they are able to sit at a desk and be three feet away from other students, they can take their masks off. But every other time that they're close to other students or staff members, they'll have to have the mask on. And so a lot of the private schools, when I spoke to them, really said that they listened to advice from the CDC, the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control, the Medical University of South Carolina, and the American Academy of Pediatrics, all of whom recommended that masks be worn in schools by everyone who's inside of them to prevent the spread. So that was really kind of the push for those schools to require them. Now, some schools still aren't doing it. For example, Pinewood Preparatory School in Somerville has said that they won't be requiring masks. They're not the only one. There are others throughout the area that won't be requiring masks either. Those schools really said that it was because they listened to their parents, what their parents wanted to have, and and those parents said that they would prefer to be mask optional to give their student the choice. What about for public colleges? Are they affected by the budget proviso? So public colleges had a separate proviso that kind of affected how they go about this. In that proviso, they were told that they cannot require masks for unvaccinated students. That issue was brought in a lawsuit against the University of South Carolina, and then that went to the state Supreme Court because the university tried to require masks for all students. The Supreme Court ultimately ruled yesterday that the schools can require masks for all students. So now we've kind of seen a wave of publicly funded universities and colleges throughout the area say they are requiring masks. So College of Charleston, for example, will be requiring masks for all of its students, staff, and teachers inside campus buildings whenever they're in class, they're able to take the masks off in private work or learning spaces. Same goes for Trident Technical College and, you know, some other schools around the area. Coastal Carolina University is requiring masks. And then I believe both USC and Clemson have come out saying that they're requiring masks as well. So there's been kind of a big push on the university level to require masks. And I think that's really indicative of kind of the nature of college. Students are living in dorms. They're talking to each other. They're interacting with each other. I think it made sense for the colleges to do that. Kind of stepping away from masks, we know that, especially given the level of spread that we're seeing, there are going to be COVID cases among students, among staff, and the state has seen cases among the schools that opened earlier than the ones that had their first days this week. What is the plan for when staff and students test positive for COVID-19? Right now, all three of the major school districts in the Tri-County area are following the DHEC recommendations for quarantine. So that policy says that anyone who is not vaccinated, who has come in close contact, so within six feet for 15 minutes or more of a person who tested positive, has to quarantine for at least 14 days. People who are vaccinated do not have to quarantine unless they start showing symptoms of the virus. Another part of that is that in Charleston County School District, they have a policy which says they will quarantine an entire classroom if more than 
three people get the virus within 14 days of each other. So there are chances and it's likely that classrooms will be put on quarantine for two weeks. And in that situation, the school district is having students attend classes virtually and other online software like that to do their coursework and keep up with school while they're in quarantine. And that goes for anyone in quarantine. They'll have the resources available to them and they won't have absences marked against them when they are in quarantine so they can keep up with their schoolwork and not get behind. So what about other precautions? You know, we talked about masks, but what about other things that can be done in schools and in classrooms to prevent the spread? What are classrooms going to look like this year? The CDC now recommends that you can be within three feet of a person, so they're able to do fit more kids into the classroom. Other than that, school districts have increased their air quality and air ventilation. And then another major prevention measure that districts are taking is cohorting. So they basically have students put into groups and kind of keep those students within those groups throughout the school day. And that's usually basically just based on their grade or their classes, just to keep them from interacting with too many other students in other parts of the school that would lead to more spread. And it helps Later on, when district officials and health officials are doing contact tracing, which is when someone tests positive and they need to figure out everyone who's a close contact of that person. It's much easier when you have a list of kids that you know that staff member or that student was around while they were positive. So we know that there's been a huge focus on getting students back to school in person. That's been the goal for a long time. We talked about how Earlier, people hoped it would be more of a return to normalcy, also a normal school year. We know that that's not going to be the case. But still with that focus on getting students in person as consistently as possible. But are there students who are still going to be learning virtually? And do we know about what share of students that might be? There are still students learning virtually. Both Charleston County and Dorchester District 2 are part of something called the Low Country Education Consortium, which also provides a virtual school service called Low Country Virtual. So the school districts had students sign up for that back in late March, early April. Families were able to express interest in that for the next school year. And those programs are really kind of booked up by now. But when speaking to the superintendent at Charleston County School District, I found out that there are still some families who, after all of the confusion and everything going on in the past few weeks, they've expressed interest in virtual learning. So one of the things that Charleston is working on is kind of seeing who's interested in virtual learning for this school year, and if they can get enough students in a single grade, then they'll have one of their teachers just become the virtual teacher for that grade. They're no longer going to have teachers doing what they did last year, which was kind of a dual model where they would be teaching some students virtually and then some students in person all at the same time while they were in class. The teachers no longer have to worry about that. If a teacher becomes a virtual teacher, they'll only be teaching those virtual students and will be doing it separate from any in-person students. For all of the districts, there's another proviso and another rule to the state budget. Districts can only have up to 5%. If they go past that 5%, they'll lose per pupil funding. So the amount of money they get per student will go down for every student that goes over that 5% threshold. When speaking to Charleston County School District, they're not anywhere near that 5% threshold, so they aren't too concerned about that proviso, and it's 
limits on the district. State Superintendent Molly Spearman said that the proviso isn't intended to apply when students are quarantined or when a whole school needs to be quarantined and they have to do virtual learning that way. It only applies to students who are doing solely virtual learning without the quarantine or something like that. What about if schools see more widespread outbreaks? If it really gets to that point of, do we not just need to quarantine a classroom, but do we need to close the school for in-person learning again? Have any districts discussed that possibility or any plans for that? In the Charleston County area, school districts have not really discussed what exactly would happen in that case. I mean, there is a number for every school district where they cannot run schools because so many students and so many staff members are in quarantine. And that's really what it comes down to is when staff members have to be put in quarantine, you're losing people who would be able to run the schools. And so we've seen that happen in Georgia. Four school districts had to go all virtual just after two weeks of school to kind of get themselves back on track because so many people were quarantined and there were so many cases. And the same thing happened in Pickens County. Over 600 students were quarantined after about two weeks of school with about 142 cases reported in the district by August 13th. That's a school district district of 15,800 students around that number learning in person. So all of those students were put on virtual learning because with that many cases and that many quarantines, they were unable to continue for the next two weeks. So they'll come out of that virtual learning after two weeks when those students are out of quarantine. This is obviously a very hectic week for an education reporter. What are the big things on your radar right now as we are through much of this first week and looking toward the beginning of what should definitely be another interesting school year with plenty of challenges? So what are some of the things that you're looking out for and and watching for as we get into this school year? What I'm really interested to see is just how the cases spread at the school. We know that the Delta variant is highly transmissible and much more transmissible than the version of COVID-19 that we were dealing with last year. And I think that's what's really scaring health professionals and parents and, and school officials right now is is that's it's kind of a different beast. It's a different monster that we're dealing with. The other thing I'm interested to know is really how much the mask mandates are enforced. We still don't really know with the school districts that are requiring masks, you know, what that really looks like in the classroom and and how teachers and principals are going about making sure kids are wearing masks. I'm interested to know how quarantines are going to affect students. We sort of experienced this thing called the COVID slide. You know, students' educational performance has really kind of gone down because they've been put in these extenuating circumstances. And we would like to see them catch back up and and succeed in their schooling. But is that really possible if students are still being put in quarantine often or they're being sent home to do virtual learning while they also have to watch their younger siblings. And it's a difficult situation for them. And I think when we talk to these kids, especially on this first day of school, a lot of them just want a normal high school, middle school, elementary school experience. Especially the high schoolers, they feel a little bit like they've missed out on what is supposed to be the best time of your life. You know, there's lots of talk among their parents and among their teachers about who should require masks and who shouldn't. It's confusing. And I think what these kids really want to know is, you know, when am I going to have my normal life back? And so I think we're really, I'm really interested to kind of see how that plays out for those students and for the community as a whole. 
All right, listeners, that's all for today. But this story is still quickly evolving, especially when it comes to the issue of these mask mandates. So we encourage you to keep checking the Posting Courier's website, more of Libby's reporting, and reporting from our other bureaus in Columbia, Myrtle Beach, and Greenville, who are all reporting on back-to-school, mask rules, and everything in between. We will leave some links in today's show notes for how to find some of that other coverage. If you have comments or questions about today's podcast or ideas for future episodes, email us at understandsc at postingcourier.com. Next week, we'll be bringing you a story about a Charleston native who captured the world's attention from the Olympic podium in Tokyo. Until then, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.